is sitting right next to me and he is visibly like uncomfortable shaking almost like he's like gonna throw up and uh so I'm talking to him. I'm like, you all right? He goes, no, nah, I'm, I'm not doing very well. I'm like, w- w- what's wrong? And he goes, well, you don't realize how hard it is to be Brett Favre every time I go out there. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. All right, welcome in to another episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events, games, trades, moments. My name is Phil Mackey, and this episode is part of a multi-part series about the 2009 Minnesota Vikings. It's been 10 years since we all went on that magic Brett Favre carpet ride. Uh, I think they should have won the Super Bowl. We can dive into some of that stuff. But our crew for this episode includes Judd Zolgad, who covered the Vikings in those days as a beat writer for the Star Tribune. We're going to catch up with quarterbacks coach during that era of Vikings football, Kevin Rogers, who's full of stories, and Sage Rosenfels, backup quarterback to Brett Favre during 2009, in the film room on a daily basis with also countless stories. Before we get into this, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> of all the I've been things mentally preparing you, for 10 years. I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but are you sure you want to go back and take off the Band-Aid because I don't think the scab has healed for most people, <laughs> including myself. And uh, and we're gonna I th- we're gonna we're gonna rip this thing off, and we're gonna look at what what happened so ten he, years ago. Now, here's what this is: this is your scab. I'm peeling the bandaid off, and knowing Judd, he's sitting over there with a tub of sea salt to pour into it. Now he's now he's like Kramer up there with the, uh, the the juju fruit, and one's gonna land in my scab and uh, you know fix my problem. I want to find out now. What I didn't know back then. That's why I'm here. Uh, well, we'll see what happens here. We'll see what uh, when you start scratching uh, various aspects of my brain and what you know sort of floats out uh, from from that season. So we're gonna do we're gonna basically do two episodes here with you, Sage, and we're we're gonna do one full episode on just the 2009 NFC Championship game. But let's let's start sort of at the beginning because so Judd and I have this unique perspective as. Sort of insiders, but outsiders. I, at the time, was at, at KFAN writing about the Vikings for KFAN.com. Judd was at the Star Tribune. And it was August 19th of 2009 when, I believe it was a black SUV carrying just Brad. Was anyone else in the black SUV besides Childress and Favre, Judd? Or was uh, it just no, those two and a cup of two. caribou coffee? Just those two. And and they pull up to Winter Park, and there were two or 300 people Fans who had caught wind of of this, and and I believe Channel Five had a helicopter following it, like the OJ chase. There was a guy in a chicken suit outside of Winter Park. There was just like on the corner chaos outside of Winter Park for a restaurant. He had a sign, and he was in a full chicken suit. Mm. And you guys, I think, were practicing. It was just going through sort of the post Mankato uh, pre regular season practice. So, how in the know were players? When it came to the, the sort of the back and forth with Brett Favre, and because you're in the middle of a you're in the middle of a battle for the starting quarterback job at the time, and all of a sudden like Brett Favre shows up, so what was it like as a player when when the well, arrival happened? You know, get sort of some perspective here. I was uh, the backup quarterback for the Houston Texans behind Matt Schaub, uh, and I had played a ton in the previous two seasons and played so well that I was felt like I could maybe compete somewhere else to be a starter. Matt had a fairly large contract i had just that classic backup 
uh, sort of deal, and and I was looking to have it, you know, sort of my one big opportunity. I'd finally played a lot. I started ten games, was six and four in those ten starts, and and three of the losses were to the Colts and Peyton Manning. So I'd played some pretty good football, and uh, and you know, obviously Tavares. Uh, up here, you guys were, I think, 10 and 6 the year before, went to the playoffs, but Tavares really hadn't, didn't play all that well, and it was still sort of unproven. And, and I thought, you know, there's a guy, there's a spot where maybe I could, I could, you know, compete and win. And, and it's a really good football team. You know, if you're going to go somewhere to start, you don't want to go to a team that's, you know, that won two games the year before. You're just going to get killed and you're going to get a little paycheck. But, uh, I came here to, to compete and start, and, and I thought I could be out Tavares. So, through tr- through summer, through OTAs, uh, through those first couple of preseason games, I thought I had played better than than Tavares. And and he, by the way, he and I always got along really well. I think it was probably our our, our sort of common dislike of our coach. Our head coach, you know, sort of like <laughs> the fact that Tavares was even like a chili guy, I guess, but it's not like he loved chili by any means, you know. So I think we just sort of, I don't know, we we both had our struggles within certain things of the offense that bothered us, and so I, we got along really well. But I thought I had sort of outplayed him and played pretty well in the first preseason game. Uh, I think I played pretty well in the second preseason game, from I recall, and then yeah, then we show up post Mankato. Uh, uh, you know, back in Minneapolis, and it's one of those first practices when we got here. I'm not sure if it was the first one, but one of the first practices where we would, uh, we had moved back from Mankato, and we're now, you know, basically staying at our houses or whatever, and sort of more on a regular practice you know, uh, schedule. You know, that third preseason game is sort of like a mock game week. You know, you sort of have your if it's a you know if it's a Saturday night game, maybe you started on. Uh, a little bit different, but you sort of have that. Uh, try to make it like it's a regular season type of week for like a lot of the young guys. Like this is how you sort of do it. You install certain plays on Wednesday. You install, install certain plays on Thursday. Blah blah blah. So we're sitting there uh, Monday or that <clears throat> whatever the morning, whatever the what day you know the day of the week this was. Was it like a Monday or Tuesday or yeah, something? Yeah, it probably was. Yes. So uh, we're um, we have our morning meeting and um, we break up. Uh, after that morning meeting, uh, you know, there's always like a team meeting and then everyone breaks up into either, either like offense, defense or into just individual meetings. And so we're going to break up into, I believe, an offense, all off, like uh, individual meetings. And so we're going to be with Kevin Rogers, who's our quarterback's coach. But before that, uh, Brad Childress takes uh, Tavares and I, and I believe John David Booty that's, was that's the, right. the other quarterback. <laughs> Let's not leave him out of the mix here, you know, and um, brings us into this room, which really just was where Chris Kalu played video games, it seemed like to me. It was like, a, I guess it was a lounge room, and I don't know if it had a pool table, but it had video games, and it had like a Guitar Hero thing that Kluwe was like a national champion or something. He, at. Was, he was very good. Yes. So I was never really in there, but like that was probably the only time we were in there. Um, so, and, and Childress says to all of us, he says, well, guys, today we, uh, we're, we're going to sign Brett Favre. <laughs> and blah blah blah, and so to, you know, we, we it was it was no more than a minute long. And actually, we have we have exclusive audio of this. Actually, um, oh, you do, uh, um, or uh, um, and um, spit it out, Brad. <laughs> um. So after that meeting, we you know went to the quarterbacks room, and I, I don't really remember much after that. You know, we had a couple hours of meetings and talked about you know we're we're like installing the game plan. You know, like we're installing the game plan. The quarterback wasn't there yet. You know what I mean? So um, then we got to like I think we had a walk through or something, and then we had lunch. 
So I'm sitting there in the cafeteria, Old Winter Park. Uh, I'm at this table and uh, I'm facing, I'm sort of facing the table and behind the table is the TV, if that makes any sense. And at my table, though, is Jared Allen, Greenway, Lieber, I think Heath Farwell, who was like a linebacker, special teams guy, him and and, and he was like Jared Allen's little minion type of deal. Uh, So there's like five, six, maybe John Sullivan, our center. And uh, we're watching this thing. And it was one of those deals where, like, well, this is awkward. You know, like, here we are sitting next to Sage, who, like, you know, moved his whole family up here and, you know, took a chance, <laughs> took a chance of a lifetime to try to be this. Now it's like, well, that's over. So, uh, but, you know, we'll see how this goes. I mean, it was, it was, that was, it wasn't like, uh, it, 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 it was just sort of funny. It was just sort of like, well, this is weird. You know, like, what's going on here? You know, like, and there's like, where are they? I, I think they're over. You know, I think the rover now by like where Tria is or something. You know what I mean? It's like it's like where are they on four ninety four or something like that? Where's and, Waldo? Yeah, it was. It, and then they were. And then they next thing you know, they pull. I mean, they pull into because at Winter Park at that cafeteria, you can actually look out onto the parking yeah. lot and almost look out to the street. And so and you so, guys are watching the news, like the helicopter footage of this. Yes, while eating lunch. Yes, while eating lunch. Yes, and um, and then you know they showed up and walked into a. You know, the other room and there's people are shaking hands and, uh, you know, the whole thing. And I mean, that's pretty much what I remember. And uh, yeah, I, I don't remember much after that, actually. So well, I don't remember that. They're, they're at least the rest of that day. I mean, at that point, I was like, well, it looks like I'm just like the number two or number three quarterback. And, you know, let's see how this thing goes. You know, it's going to be interesting. So there were so many things in that season. I mean, there was there was all these just little peak moments. Obviously, the arrival of Favre, the I, I he was he was. Easing into the season, that Cleveland game where Peterson ran for three touchdowns and a buck eighty and stiff armed some poor Browns defender halfway to <laughs> man, the bench oh on the sidelines. Yeah. And Favre was just like the first two games of the season, Favre was just, all right, we're here. I'm forty. You know, I'm just uh, I tore my biceps last year. And I think all of us wondered, is he just gonna be here to hand off to Peterson? Like what is what's and then all of a sudden the 49ers game in week three at home and the second half Was and, that week three? Yeah. It was Early in the season, man, week three I, or yeah, four. I, yeah, I should uh, home opener. It, it was, yeah. You played Holy at Cleveland, Greg at Lewis Detroit. back to the end zone. That yeah. was amazing. I mean, we could just deep dive into that play. Let's do know? it. What do you? Um, well, what do you remember? Because well, so first game of the year, and uh, you know, I remember like, well, you know, we'll see how this goes. We're going to Cle- the nice thing is for me is you know for whatever reason, even though I outplayed well. I could probably give you some good reasons, but for the, I felt like I outplayed Tavares, so I was really still going. Okay, well, I'd, I'd like to be the number two guy, and then then Brad maybe the number three guy. And now I had been the number three guy earlier in my career for like four years. It's a, I mean, people love the backup spot. The number three guy is the real money because you know there's like no stress, right? I mean, <laughs> the backup spot you may not play, but like you're stressed out that you might play. The third guy, you're not going to play. So, like, that's the best spot to be in. And I was making three million bucks. It was a what a deal. <laughs> I was like the highest paid third string quarterback in the in the history of the league. So, San Francisco week three, and so we're we're playing this team, and that was who was their head coach at that time? Was it Mike Dolan in '09? I'm not sure, but their defense was really good. I think it was Mike because Mike had come from Baltimore as the defensive coordinator. Okay. Yep. So their defense. No, it was, it was Mike Singletary. It was a Singletary. Oh, yeah. But their defense really was Never good. Mind now that. their offense wasn't great uh, during that time with their defense, and that ended up being the, sort of the the defensive nucleus 
that you know Harbaugh ended up actually sort of walking into. You know, Harbaugh got a lot of credit for taking that 49ers team to the Super Bowl, but their offense was terrible. And they won by just having this sort of collegiate, grinded-out offense because Kaepernick could run. He was, much, he was enough of a threat. And then versus, like, you know, very simple defense, he could complete some good throws. And Frank Gore was just sort of a monster. And they just sort of played beat-it-up football. But their defense was, like, scary. Justin Smith was really good. Uh, they had a, two just hard-hitting safeties. They had the linebackers, um, three, like, you know, basically Pro Bowl-style linebackers. And so, yeah, that, that, that was what was the scary part of the team. And Favre got the – and this was the game where, like, okay, Favre can't just hand it off to Adrian or throw some quick bubble screens to Percy. He's going to have to, like, really win this game. And he got the crap just completely beat out of – that was, like, the first time of, like, oh, my God. I mean, I, I was 31 years old, and he was 39 turning 40. And I remember thinking to myself – there is no chance that in eight or nine years that I could do any of what he's doing now physically. Like I, I would just break my wrist would break, yeah. my ankle would break, my and he would just and he would just sort of get up and hobble it off. And even on the play, the the Greg Lewis play, I think he hung in there and I th- I think he took a shot on that yeah, play, right? Yeah. So oh yeah, after he threw the ball, he you know he sort of sideswiped a guy and and uh, it, it, he had to buy time. So. Again, I don't remember much of the game. Yeah. Oh, and the, how about got the, the play? Cr- yeah, what do you remember about the, the play? I remember everything about this play. It was incredible. The, the previous, we you know, we we only had. I'd like to go back and we only had. I feel like you know a minute, minute and a half, minute, you know, maybe even under a minute to to move the ball to get to even have a chance to uh, you know maybe throw a hail mary. Right? There, there's an aspect of. You know, the, the chance is sometimes of moving the ball all the way down to the 10 and actually having legit shots at the end zone isn't always realistic. A lot of times, like, let's just try to get the ball near midfield sure. or to the plus 40 so at least we can have a, two or three shots of a home Mary. That's sometimes that's the best you got. So we get we do move the ball down, but we had just basically called the same play like four or five times in a row. It was just all go routes because we're just trying to uh, you know, get as big a big a chunks as possible, try to stop the clock or whatever. So after like the third or fourth one, Percy Harvin is. I mean, you've run straight four straight sprints in a row, and he was just completely exhausted. And then we'd move the ball down to the yeah, it was down to the the forty six, and then to the thirty nine. Uh, no timeouts, by the way. So that's why you know, chunks of time were just leaking off. Yeah. So Percy Harvin comes out of the game. Yeah, he right? had a, it was a fifteen yard uh, completion to get to. The thirty-nine yard line, and then the one play between Percy coming out and and the Greg Lewis play was a seven-yard completion to Bernard Berrien to get from the thirty-nine to the thirty-two. Okay, I think that was without Percy on the field. Yeah, so Percy had come off, and Greg Lewis, who probably hadn't played a snap yet that season, maybe uh, as a wide receiver, maybe on some special teams, he was fa- he was fast, and he was sort of like somebody to be a gunner or whatever, but. Um, he had come, again a guy that also just sort of had showed up more recently, like had come from that Philadelphia system. Childress you know, guy, right? Childress guy or whatever. And I think, and he's coaching the NFL. He, well, he was coaching yes. for the the Chiefs. I'm not sure he's coaching for now as like a wide receivers coach. But anyway, so our receivers are exhausted. We got this you know young fresh guy in the game, which is like, well, you know, he's like the last guy Favre's going to throw the ball to. So. What was interesting is if you, if you think about our formation, two the quarterbacks were right all the way as a receiver was Sidney Rice, and then you had Shanko the tight end also to the right. You had Greg Lewis in the slot to the left, and then you had maybe Bernard Baring as that what we call the X receiver all the way to the left by the other team's sideline. 
Um, and so we called again the same play, four verticals, you know, and Sydney Rice to the right and Shanko were so exhausted. And the and the DBs, the 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 safeties and the corners were playing like twenty five yards deep, and just sort of standing there, like you know, it, they weren't playing like a normal what we call cover four coverage. They were just like you know, keep the ball in front of you type of thing, yeah. and let them throw ten yard completions. There's literally just not enough time for them to run that many more plays to work the ball in the end zone. So they're happy to give up a ten yard stop route and to Sydney or something. So Sydney and Shanko run up. And there's like, you know, there's no, there's no reason to like chase a ghost or whatever, right? So there's no reason to just like keep running because the DBs are just standing back. They're basically in a Hail Mary type of position. But on, on roughly, I would say the five yard line, maybe they were just sort of standing there. And so Shanko and Sydney stopped after about running for about 15 or 20 yards. They just stopped. And they stopped just because they were tired? Or was I it think a like- mix of tired and like, well, you're not going to, Favre's not going to just throw the ball up for these guys who are just bailing because it's they're going to fair catch it basically at this point and maybe just because they were so exhausted you know what i mean because this is like the fifth or sixth play it seems like they'd run like the same route in a row and the guys are just, just tired so they just stopped meanwhile farver's back there buying time you know he's making the guy miss he's basically in hell, hell mary mode um and that safety in the corner to sydney's and shanko's side end up sort of coming up because it's okay those guys have stopped running now there's no threat deep we're going to sort of come up. Now, then there's Greg Lewis on the other side who's fresh and he's running his <laughs> post route on his left hand side. And that post route is what we call a bender. So, versus a cover two or two high safety coverage, you're not going to run right at the safety. You're going to sort of bend across his face, almost like a post route. Well, that usually is hit at about 20 yards. You know, there's timing there, right? There's a space between the linebackers and the safeties. It's like a sweet spot, about 20 yards, where you hit that bender. Well, he took the angle at, at the 20 yards or whatever, and he just kept running. You know, So that angle ended up bringing him across to the other side of the field behind the safety who was like over Shanko and behind the corner who was over Sidney Rice on the quarterback's right side. And Favre bought time and somehow found him. I don't know how, but somehow found him and let it fly. And, uh, and you just sort of – I mean – he catches it in the back of the end zone, and and he gets his feet down, and yeah. the place goes crazy. And you, you, my really, my first thought was, there's no way that's a completion. There's just no way, and you couldn't really see the back uh, of the end zone. I feel like it that might have been part of the field that was almost like warning track. I mean, I'm not sure if it was, you know, like if it was like artificial turf or not or whatever. I'm not even sure, but it was. It just felt like there's just no way he caught that inbounds and that's a completion because it was. And then the, the throw was, it was so insane. And and uh, you see the review and the whole crowd goes absolutely crazy because you could see pretty clearly like that was a catch. That was a catch, and uh, and yeah, that was the end of that. The part about that play, when I went back and watched it a thousand times, Sage, that absolutely I thought was um, the most astounding thing is Brett, there's I think a linebacker or a D lineman rushing at Brett, and, and it's the guy, he got hit eventually, but I think the first guy didn't get him. And they always talked about the size of Brett's hand, but if you remember, he literally raked the ball around. The, he like brings it up around and down to avoid the pressure. Yeah, he sort of like he sort of. Uh, well, I don't know what the word. It's almost like a 
someone who's fighting the bulls. You know what I mean? He sort of like olayed him with the but, but with the ball with the ball. Yeah, that to me, I'm, if you can just talk about you know I've seen seeing that, but yeah, well, that's sort of a natural reaction for a quarterback. You know, you do a lot of times these drills where you're in the pocket and as you drop back, and then you have a coach like try to hit the ball, and so you move the ball around, and usually try to keep it in two hands is the generally coaching sure. thing. But sometimes there's like a natural reaction to bring the ball over the guy who's gonna, who's going to swipe at it. And uh, and he did that, and then um, then after he threw it, he got destroyed. I think it was Justin Smith who was I think should be a Hall of Fame defensive uh, tackle for the Forty ers uh, I think it was him, and just destroyed Favre. So obviously he probably you know what's interesting is a lot of throws as a quarterback that you end up making. You throw the ball and you don't really realize it till later, but you watched it be completed or intercepted or whatever it might be. But your your view is from your head next to the grass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just got killed. My head's not. I'm like laying on the ground basically, and I'm like watching the play down the field. It's a very weird way to like see what happens. <laughs> a lot of times you just sort of wait for the crowd reaction to know if it was if it was caught or not. It works the other way too. It, sometimes with Brett Favre, where like the play's now coming back the other way at you because somebody else caught it that wasn't supposed yeah, to, and well, you're laying there. Well, then you get to decide if you want to get up or not, yeah. which is nice. <laughs> you know, you could just lay there. But yeah, he you know he got completely. Crazy crushed after that play and and uh and you know it was it was amazing i don't know how many fans had left i i, I think a fair amount of fans had uh, had gone home um and uh i think one of the great throws and catches like i honestly in like nfl history i mean i don't, I don't think that play actually gets enough credit there's a lot of famous plays in nfl history maybe it's just because it was a week three game and the championship games of that season overshadows all the other games but that was absolutely incredible, and that was the first time that I'd really seen. You know, and this is year nine for me, but this was like that was true magic. That was the first time I'd actually seen that type of magic from a player. You know, I mean, Dan Marino throwing, having that you know, two, uh, 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 spike it play versus the Jets on Monday night back in the day, or you know, th- these plays that happened over the years were like magic sort of happened. Farve to di- Farve to uh, what's Antonio Freeman with Chris Dishman falling asleep oh, on Monday Night Football too, where the Atlanta. ball kind of bounced off of his back, yeah, and around, or, around, or some of the stuff that Randy Moss used to do back in the day, you know, yeah. and when he caught that one ball and then and then he. Uh, uh, he 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 uh, flipped it to Mo Williams. Flip, flipped it to the Wizenator or whatever. Was that was he the <laughs> and That was Ontario <laughs> Smith. Oh, 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 <laughs> so um, so uh, yeah, that was the first time I'd really seen just just something that I could not believe yeah. uh, in the National Football League. And I'd been in the league for like nine years at that time. It was uh, it's having also been in the building, and Judd and I were both in the press box for that game. It's top three crowd noise pop I've ever heard in a building, and that includes being at later on that that calendar year, being inside uh, Metrodome for Game 163, Twins and Tigers. Uh, I wasn't in the Metrodome for uh, the Twins World Series in 91, but like it's the, like, like one of the, the three loudest crowd pops I think I've ever heard when he came down with that ball initially, when people, you know, when people th- thought that it was a touchdown and it was, but then we had to, of course, wait for the replay. Yeah. What was like before we died? Because we, I, I want to talk about some of the Packers stuff later on that year too. But oh man, just a quick aside: what was Brett like behind the scenes, and what was it like watching film with him? What are some things like that we wouldn't know that you would have experienced with him behind the scenes? Well, 
you know, I got to him so so late in his career. What was sort of neat was that he would sort of joke around about like how little he knew for a long time. You know, there's this famous story that uh, it was like year, I think it was like year four, and um, when they when he was with the Packers and 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 the offensive coordinator was was talking if it was Andy Reid or if it was Holmgren or what they were talking about nickel defense and and he pulls like you know. Ty Detmer aside or whoever the backup was at the time is like, what is he talking about with this nickel defense? And it's like, you know, year four in the NFL. These are something that you sort of learn. And at this point, you probably high school people, you know, know it. You know, it's when you take out a linebacker, you put in another DB because the offense has three receivers and you have five DBs a la nickel defense. And he did not know what that was. And he'd probably been to some Pro Bowls already. And he, you know, the, he just was like a see it and throw it true gunslinger early on. There was no analyzing of the of the of the defense all that much. It was like this guy looks like he's going to be open. I'm going to I'm going to you know throw him the ball, and that was pretty much it. And then over time, he became he was very creative in his own way. He used, he would say these things of like, huh? I and I always thought myself as sort of a. Uh, uh, an X's and O's guy. I enjoyed the X's and O's. I had just come from Kyle Shanahan, who I think is one of the best X's and O's guys in the league. And he was young, but first year as a coordinator when I was in Houston. That Kubiak was really good. I'd played for North Turner, uh, played for a lot of different coaches along the way. Brian Schottenheimer, my rookie year. And but he would say these things of like, well, you know, if we do this with this protection, we can do this, that, and the other. And I was like, huh, that that's really interesting. I never never thought about that, that about it that way. Um, but he would. He's had seen so many defenses and been through so many practices that that's when he started doing some things with protections or the running backs. Uh, he would tell guys a little bit, hey, you know, rather than protecting the, this one, just go out and be a free release player. And if the guy comes, I'll just throw hot. And I was, you know, I was like, all right, well, Brett's going to do that. I mean, and but then it would like it would really work out, you know, like there's this thing in, in defense is a lot of times when they blitz what we call a zone dog. Don't don't ask me why they call it that way. But basically it's a it's a blitz with zone behind it. Normally you think a team blitzes and they play man to man behind it. Well, to play zone behind it, a lot of times you blitz from one side and then you like drop a defensive end on the other side. Actually, Mike Boone had a catch the other day in a preseason game where he ran in like an option route off of a defensive end that was dropping in the coverage. Because if you blitz two from over here, yeah. you want to play zone, you got to drop someone from over here. You see that defensive end, so I'm stand up and drop out. Well, he would slide the entire line to, to pick up the blitz. And then if that happens, the running back would, ha- if the defensive end does indeed rush, the running back would have to block the defensive end. Well, that's a really bad matchup, right? But Brett in his own mind goes, well, he's not going to come. He's going to drop into coverage. Now I basically have, uh, you know, Chester Taylor, our running back, or somebody running an option route on the defensive end. That's the best, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, man, never even thought about that. But what if the defensive end just does come? You know, like sometimes they screw up too. I'm going to guess that this is the type of stuff that Brad Childress would get all worked up about. This is the type of stuff that Brad Childress didn't understand. Okay. And of course, he would get worked up about it, right? So Brett could see these things quicker than I could see them um, from my limited experience at that time. You know, Peyton Manning could see things, you know, really, really quickly as well. But he was the first time I was around where I saw the coach like manipulating protections the best way I like to see it. Now I went to the Giants next year, and Eli did it all the time. He wasn't creative like that, but he was a guy who could find every way possible to come up with the protection to figure out how we're going to stop this blitz, and he could do it on the spot really, really quickly. 
uh, Favre was it had his own creative way of doing it, and uh, and and it, it definitely kept things interesting. You know what I mean? And what was really cool about it was those guys like Chester Taylor or really anybody on the team. You didn't question it, right? Like if, if Brett goes, "Hey, I want you to run this route," everybody would do what he had said to do, right? It was it was. Because it was probably going to be something really good, I would say nine out of ten times it was the right move to do to you know to whatever he was trying to whatever he was selling. It was more often than not right, and so guys knew from he had so much uh, a credibility walking into that building that when you know it, it, all those guys, whether it's Bernard Barry and Sydney, Percy Harvin, um, it, it, Chester Taylor, all these guys, Shanko, if Brett told you to do something that wasn't necessarily a part of like the uh, the route that was called in the huddle. Um, Everybody did it every single time, and it almost always worked out. Kevin Rogers was the Vikings quarterback coach from 2006 through 2011 and was very much, and has probably a million stories he could he could tell here. But we want to ask you, Kevin, specifically about Brett Favre and what it was like being his quarterback's coach, being with him behind the scenes, in the film room, preparing for games. What stands out the most to you when you think about Brett Favre in 2009? Well, first of all, the beginning of 2009, uh, you know, the rumors had been swirling about him coming to Minnesota. And, uh, but, you know, and, and there were a lot of meetings in reference to him coming. And be very honest with you, you know, like what I'd heard about Brett, I really didn't know him personally. And, and what I knew about Brad Childress, I'm not sure that that situation was going to work out, you know, because Brad was such a stickler about stuff and and everything i've heard about i heard about brett was you know what a cowboy he was and uh so anyway obviously we got him we had the you know look like the oj uh chase coming into minneapolis when uh we picked him up to for his first practice first time i ever met him was on the practice field uh in the exercise line uh and it didn't take long to uh to figure out the guy i mean he is uh he is a piece of work in every sense of the word. But uh, anyway, I, I think Sage would remember we have uh, we had this play called Fox Two Run, and uh, we, you know it was coached meticulously in terms of the footwork. And uh, you know we we're going to take a step and a half back, keep our eyes on the backside linebacker, then find the tailback with the ball. You know, and Brad Childress was just a big time stickler in terms of. That being correct, you know, that was one of the many things that had to be exact. Well, Brett, we call Fox 2 run, first time we're doing center quarterback exchange. We Brett takes the snap, he fakes a bubble screen to the right, twists around, throws a bubble screen to the left, and then turns around and hands it off. And obviously, that's not what we wanted, but the first thing I did was look at Brad Childress, you know, and if he didn't say anything, I sure as hell wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but as far as Brett as a player uh totally unique uh you know I had him when he was 40 years old he still had an arm like a rocket ship you know he had the reputation of of being a gunslinger and a cowboy yet that year that 2009 season the guy throws for 34 touchdowns and I believe it was seven interceptions and truly amazing things that that Sage and I got to watch with that guy you know, like you think about the 49ers two-minute uh, drill uh, that season when, when you know, we had 12 seconds left and he buys time and he hits Greg Lewis 
who's in for his first snap of the game with no time left at the very, very back of the end line. Uh, just an tr- unbelievable play. You know, I mean, you figure the game's over. And then those two wins against uh, Green Bay, you know, and he was a happy-go-lucky guy. I mean, uh, you know, the personality in the locker room. But before those two games, boy, he was tight-lipped and, I thought, nervous. Like came out and played lights out in both games. And, you know, I remember running out of the tunnel with him. We played up in Green Bay and hearing those boos, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you got to really be good to get booed like this, you know, and and, uh, and then getting into the uh, the uh, the NFC Championship game, um, you know, we had a hell of a team. I mean, a really, really good team, and um, you know, he played his butt off. I remember we went through exhaustive preparation for that game. I remember everybody on the team got uh, earplugs because we were so concerned about the crowd noise. Uh, there were virtually no checks in the entire game, and he managed to get us 450 yards total offense. And, uh, you know, to this day, uh, you know, like when, when New Orleans lost that game this year on that pass interference goal, you know, it was, uh, you know, what comes around goes around as far as I was concerned because, you know, that, uh, uh, that Bounty Gate game was absolutely ridiculous ridiculous and uh i'm amazed that some of those guys still have jobs in the nfl but but brett Favre uh was everything i could have imagined in a quarterback and even more and absolutely every day he showed up for work it was a good day he had fun i mean he really had fun and that was a 40 year old man and uh he made it fun for all of us uh, Coach, you know, tell me about your thoughts uh, of that quarterback room. You mentioned earlier, uh, you know, it started before Brett showed up. It was it was Tavares. Uh, I had just been traded there in, in late February, early March. Uh, John David Booty was also on the roster, right. um, and then Brett shows up. Uh, but we had this quarterback room, which you know you could think uh, had some, you know, hurt feelings by either me or Tavares or whoever, because, you know, we, of course, we wanted to be the starter. Uh, but but tell me actually how the room was uh, with you in it, with, uh, you know, Daryl Bevel, who was in probably, you know, some of our meetings as well, of course, as the offensive coordinator, uh, and how that chemistry worked. Well, you know, uh, it was a great room and that there was truly a selfless attitude and, uh, Everybody was proactive in game planning, uh, you know, so everybody got their say. Uh, the younger guys obviously knew their place a little bit better than uh, or, or better than the older guys did. You know, uh, the older guys, you know, you'd been there and done that, and you were a valued, valued member of that football team. And, you know, it wasn't just another guy walking in that room. You know, we're talking about one of the greatest players to ever play in that league. Uh, I mean, a Hall of Fame guy. Uh, and you had to respect what he'd done. And uh, once he got on the field, you, you had to respect what he does. But that, that room itself, though, I think we look forward to being in that room. You know, if, if, if uh, I don't want to sound delusional about it, but, but, you know, it was a great room. You know, we were all on the same page. We were all in it to win. Uh, you know, we were at, at ease with each other. Uh, 
you know, it was just it was just a really really good situation in contrast, you know, to you know the room that we had the year after. You know, so Brad, back to uh, Brad and Brett. We obviously saw what was uh, the beginning of a little bit, at least, of a blow-up, Kevin, in Carolina after uh, Brad tried to lift Brett from that game. And Brett told us about it, and Brad got mad. But what was that relationship like between Childress and Favre throughout 2009? Because, as you said, that's two very headstrong individuals. Um, It was, you know, it wasn't the greatest relationship in the world, that's for sure. But they, they very rarely talked to each other. You know, I mean, if Brad had something to say, he would say it. Uh, of course, he was going to get answered back, too, at the same time. But uh, it was, uh, that was the one time, the one time where, you know, they actually had a confrontation. And I really wasn't privy, uh, you know, on the headsets for some reason or another that he was, in fact, going to take him out. Because I think, I think Sage is the guy that told me over the headsets, I think he's going to pull him. I think he's going to pull him. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to see him pulled. I thought it was the wrong time, wrong situation, even to get involved in that. It was one of those games that, you know, didn't go our way. They did some things defensively that really hurt us and uh, really had nothing to do with the play of the quarterback. But, well, uh, I think the, the worst thing that could have happened was us yanking him out of that football game. Well, you know, going back, what actually uh, occurred, we were up seven, I believe we were up seven to six. And uh, uh, Brad took Brett by the arm on the sideline or whatever and said, like, I'm thinking about pulling you or whatever. And then he actually walked over to to Tavares and I, and he told us, I'm thinking about pulling Brett. And then Brad left. And then Tavares looks at me and he goes, I don't want a piece of this. (laughs) I mean, you know, this is like Geno Smith replacing Eli. Like, I don't want to be the guy. That yeah. you know goes in for Favre in a game we're winning, you know. But yeah. you know he was yeah. getting Julius Peppers was a nightmare that night. Oh, that was that really was the issue. That was a nightmare. That but a nightmare. Uh, um, yeah, so that was sort of how that panned out. And he never did get pulled. Do, do you know? Do you remember the uh, what happened in the locker room after that game uh, at well, all? I was on. I was on the bus, and I knew what was going on. And it was almost like, oh my god, what's what, what's what's coming out of the locker room here? You know. But uh, I wasn't totally aware of it. Well, you were still in there, right? Well, so I, I actually, I'm going to go ahead and just take credit for the whole thing, uh, for like for instigating the whole issue, because <laughs> I, I you know, it had come out of the shower or something, and I'm getting ready, and, and Brett was talking to both the PR guys, Bob Hagen and Tom West, and Brett looks at me and he goes, man, people got to know that like Brad just tried to pull me from this game, you know? <laughs> And uh, and like you know, I think Bob and Tom are like, you're not going to say anything at the press conference, are you? And I look at Brett and I go, I bet you hundred dollars you don't say anything at the press conference. And he goes, I got you on that. And so he walks in there and goes, Yeah, Brad tried to try to uh, to take me out of the game. I'll jump in because because NBC's cameras caught it on the sideline, and my office at the Star Tribune called me and said they're trying to lift five. I said, Are you crazy? He said, No. So at the post game, I asked Brad the question, and Brad, you know, in typical Brad fashion, just danced. So then Brett comes up, and we're on deadline, so I don't have much time here. And I said, Brett, it looked like they tried to lift you. Or I said, what What happened? And he said he was going to take me out. And I was like, what? And so then Brett starts, and in Brett fashion, guys, he starts going down his three, four-paragraph answer, like the play-by-play. And, uh-huh. and, then, and then after that, Tom Powers of the Pioneer Press, a columnist who was off deadline, 
circled back in the locker room, found Childress and told him, and that's when I guess Brad flipped out. And so, oh. congratulations, Sage. All hell broke loose. <laughs> you know, I owe Brad. Oh. I owe Brad a hundred bucks. I, I guess. Oh. So, you know, he's one of those guys you don't want to call a chicken. It's like Back to the Future yeah. with no. Uncle J. Fox. No. You know he's I mean? going to take you on the dare every time. Yeah. You know, and probably come in the locker room after he does it and smack you on the behind. Yeah. <laughs> so that that week three win, then you beat Cleveland and Cleveland, Detroit at Ford Field. And then say, do you come back and win in week three? And I remember when Lewis caught that ball and the place went nuts and you're 3-0 and at that point, thinking, okay, this could be a special year. You just had a feeling, for at least from my perspective, covering you guys. Internally, in the locker room, how much did that, did you guys have that feeling and did that moment and game go from being, hey, we've got Brett Favre and this is cool and we're and we beat two bad teams to... Oh, this could be really good. Yeah, I, I think that uh, we we knew that Favre. No offense to Tavares or myself, but uh, we knew that Tavares gave us the best chance to win the Super Bowl. I mean, the guy still had a lot of game left, and and he had played fine in those first two games. But this was where, like, wow, we really needed him to come through for us, and he came through in, in fine, flying colors. And you know, maybe the rest of the season, hopefully, there's not too many games where we have to. He has to do those superhero type of. Uh, games, but you know if he can do it for you know three or four games, then catch some magic in the playoffs. This really is a Super Bowl caliber team. I mean, our defense was so good; nobody could run on us. I think we did have like the number one rush defense in the league for three straight years. Which then, you know, uh, you want to know why Jared Allen was so good? One of the reasons it was because we, they were teams were in third and eight all the time, third and ten all the time because of Kevin and Pat Williams and the linebackers, and our, and our rush defense was so so good. So you have all these situations which are perfect for. What Jared, you know, defensive ends aren't that great on third and one, you know, brushing the passer, sure. right? So, yeah. so we had this sort of perfect combination defensively. We had Adrian Pearson. What was interesting though was Adrian wasn't after that first game. Really, he wasn't really going off. You know, he wasn't having this incredible. He ended up not only rushing for about thirteen hundred yards. I think that season it was not one of his better. Uh, seasoned as as it was the, the in the years before, but yeah, we knew we had something special going on. When you have magic like that, and you're three and zero, and you got a Hall of Fame quarterback, and you got great defense, and you got a you know a Hall of Fame running back, uh, and Percy Harvin was super electric, was this like wild card that we had picked up uh, you know, later in the first round or whatever. We knew we were going to be able to make a run that year, but we also knew we got Green Bay. Uh, you know, coming up uh, at home and then at some point going to Green Bay. So we knew it's, it's a long season. It's, it's, a, it's a marathon. It really is a marathon. And, and you sort of just, you know, one game at a time type of deal. But, um, yeah, I mean, when, when was the next one? Green Bay was not long after that, I got to think, right? That yeah, was... you had a home game against Green Bay. That was Monday Night Football <laughs> on October 5th. And week four, it was the, the next week was home against Green Bay. And then a month later on November 1st was at Green Bay for the first time. Uh, what was, from your perspective... I, I have better stories about the game at Green Bay. What's your best story? At what Green are your Bay? best one or two stories about occasionally the at I Green Bay this, when, I, when I give a speech sometimes, I occasionally tell the story. So, you know, we played home versus the Packers. We beat them. Um, and uh, it was a good game, if I recall. But we got the lead, and, and Rodgers just sort of couldn't catch up. Now, Aaron Rodgers was not like the Aaron Rodgers as we you know, know him now as like sort of his own Superman. But uh, he was still very, very good. And they had Jermichael Finley, who was this monster tight end 
who probably would have been a Hall of Fame guy if he wouldn't have uh, get, gotten hurt. Um, obviously, they had some good receivers, and, and they, they were a good football team. So we, we went at home. We go to Green Bay, and there is a lot of buildup to this game, almost more than the first Green Bay game, I felt like, because this was Favre's return to like his home. And there were, you know, the fans burning his jersey. There was, uh, you know, the, all the all this sort of extracurricular stuff going on leading up to this thing. But you also knew, like, there's a lot of Packers fans who are almost more Brett Favre fans than Packer fans. And so, like, they were, you know, they were the people were wearing jerseys that had, were like half Green Bay and half Vikings, and yeah. they had number four. It was like, you know, it's just very, it was very odd. So well, nobody has ever represented a fan base in American sports like Brett Favre represented the Green Bay Packers. It was it was just a, a perfect blend. The NFL only cares about the, the NFL Shield and the 32 franchises. They truly don't care that much about like the individual player because that would that would mean that people are actually attached to the athletes, which the, the, the I don't think the league actually wants all that much. They want them attached to the teams. Favre was a guy where people were attached to the athlete. And I think Jordan was that way too. You know, there's certain players that are like that that people are uh, you know there's a, when I played for the Dolphins, people were Dolphins fans because they just loved it. We'd go play like in Indy or some random place, and there'd be Dolphins fans. I'm like, how are there Dolphins fans in Kansas City? There's 200 people <laughs> yeah. at a hotel. It's like, oh, Dan Marino was their idol growing up. So he almost like transcended the and Dolphins. That's years after the fact. Years after the fact. And, and, and he wasn't even on the team, right? right. So so this, there, there was, there's some magic there with that. So we're, we're in Green Bay. We're in the locker room uh, before the game, and Brett is extremely nervous. And most games, he was, you know, telling jokes and, uh, you know, slapping guys on the butt. We've all seen those videos, and he was loose, and that was probably his his own way of almost overcoming his own. Listen, you're nervous inside, whether you act like it or not. Everybody is nervous going into a football game. It is like, you know, it's a violent, crazy sport. You can't just be like loosey goosey going to the game. If anything, you're probably trying to cover up. You know, it's like it's like a therapy thing to cover up the fact that you're about to walk into a uh, a crap storm. You know, uh, that which is an NFL football game. So anyway, in this game, he's not that way. He is sitting in his locker and he is shaking. His he is sitting right next to me, and he is visibly like uncomfortable, shaking almost like he's like gonna throw up, and. Uh, so I'm talking to him. I'm like, you all right? He goes, no, I'm, I'm not doing very well. I'm like, what's wrong? And he goes, well, you don't realize how hard it is to be Brett Favre every time I go out there. I go, huh? Well, you're going to play great. We got a great team. We got a better team than them. We're going to win the game. And you, just, you don't have to do anything special, you know? I can't say anything, you know, in great words for him, but he, you know, imagine that. Imagine having to do what he did just a few weeks earlier in San Francisco and mentally going, I may have to do this again this time and make magic happen because he did it forever. Like that's the way he played. That's why people were a Vikings Packers jersey combination with number four on it because yeah. it was about, you know, because of that magic. And that's what that, that was that was magnetic about him. But there was this internal pressure that he had that uh, it's hard to live up to that. And then to go home, I, I truly believe he was concerned or did by, it did bother him that people did burn his jersey or that people might boo him. Like, he loved Packer fans as much as Packer fans loved him. And then to go back 
And then, to you know, it's like what Andrew Luck had the other night where people booed him. He goes, yeah, it hurt. You know, so imagine going back to this place that you gave it all for, and then they boo you just because you're on another team. I think he was sort of worried about how much that would hurt him, you know. And um, so there was that in the locker room, which, which was interesting. And then as we're walking down the tunnel, now most of these new stadiums, they have these huge tunnels that you can, like, drive a, a semi through basically out into the field. And so it's not some small. Now, in Green Bay, it's not that way. It's basically a single person single row tunnel like maybe you can have two-way traffic of one person's coming up to the locker room and one person's going down but it's that's about it yeah but not like kevin and pat williams shoulder to shoulder yeah yeah out the end zone too right yeah it's a south end zone into that end zone it's a south end zone you come out of the south end zone and you sort of it's like it's like you open up to the lambeau field it really is it's i think it's probably the coolest like entrance into an nfl stadium for any football team of any of the stadiums i think it's the coolest one uh you know sometimes you're in the corner of the end zone again they're like they're, they're these huge uh, places where all the uh you know the the, uh, the the lawn mowers and all these things are going on and golf carts and stuff this is not that way this is like just for human beings to walk up and down at, at the width of maybe like six feet or something like that so as we're organizing at the top of the stairs i think to myself because i've been there before and i think to myself you know i think there's gonna be a lot of eyes on brett Favre as he exits this tunnel cameras this is going to be documented forever you know brett Favre's return to lambeau field so i think to myself you know i'm going to be right behind him when this happens (laughs) (laughs) make sure sage rosenfeld's brain i'm going to be forever i'm going to be right behind him when that happens and so we work our way down the tunnel and then we jog out and you know those like old nfl films videos where they have the camera like sort of high above the quarterback or the the star player as they run out onto the field and through like the cheerleaders and the whatever and or like joe namath walking back in yeah like that right i had that view right and and it was like the best view in the whole house and i got to feel pretty much at the same time brett felt it the mix of cheers and booze and all that sort of just landing on us i get you know the snaps of the camera and and you know all that it was i got to be right behind him for that moment and really almost feel that and uh when, when i do occasional presentation I'll put up, there's a couple of pictures you can find online of just that instance of here, you know, here's far run out, but there's Sage behind him yeah. and there's never two chairs. <laughs> so That's the, amazing. So Sage, the press box in Lambeau Field is sealed, okay? So you can't really hear a ton, like the, everything sounds muffled, but I remember when Brett came out of that tunnel that you're talking about, and I don't think I've ever experienced this in my life before. It crescendoed. It sounded like a 747 was taking off. From your perspective of being right behind him that day, what did it sound like and feel like? Because I've been to two Twins World Series title games. I've seen, I've, I've heard stadiums loud. I don't think I've ever heard a stadium loud like that, and I don't think I will again in my life. Well, it's just a weird feeling being, you know, like the absolute spotlight. Uh, for like running out for warmups, you know what I mean? It's, 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 um, I've never been, I, you know, I've played in all these games and Tom Brady come out and all these things, but you could actually feel from the moment we exited that tunnel through the fact that we, you know, we were jogging over to the sideline and, and finding a football and playing catch with bread or whatever. Like it's almost like the eyes never left us. 
you could you could feel like everything that I was doing, even though like, everyone's looking at Brett, but like I was his you know lazy play catch partner. But, like everything was just being stared at, whether it's cameras or the whole crowd. I think it was uh, it was very odd. It was I mean it was being like the ultimate ultimate spotlight, and then you have to go out there and actually play a football game. Uh, which ended up being a great game. It was a, it was a fantastic football game, and, and Favre played wonderful in that game. And we probably don't win that game unless he would have played so great in that game. He was super efficient and, and played great. There was a time we were moving the ball. I feel like we uh, we had the lead, but it wasn't by a lot, and, and we're like getting into uh, to, we're getting close to the red zone, maybe. And we had called timeout, or there's timeout or something. Favre was over the sidelines, and it was like third down, and and uh, I had said something like, "Hey." Be careful! Like we can't have an interception. <laughs> it was like, like, are you kidding me? Like, you, don't don't freak me out. Yeah. You know I mean? That's amazing. And uh, but you know, it was one of those deals. Where, like, hey, we really need this field goal. We'll go up like ten points or something like that. And I think you end up throwing a touchdown pass to like Bernard Berry and like on the next play or something. But. Um, I was nervous. You know what I mean? Like I was nervous because I wanted to our team to win so badly for him because I probably because of what I had witnessed in that locker room, much less, you know, our playoff hopes and all those things like that. But, you know, it meant so much to him uh to go back there and play and play great football. And he did play uh spectacular in, in that game, really almost perfect and and um uh, that that was uh but from the beginning of that game to the end of that game, I, I was like I was uncomfortable, you know, most of the game because you just want to win it so bad. It makes you uh, like anxious, you know, as, as a backup quarterback on the sidelines, and and you know, sort of anxious for Brett and and uh, and their defense was confusing. They had Charles Woodson, and they blitzed a lot. They had a really some tough blitz packages in that game, and Favre saw them all and got rid of them. And and Bevel really did call a very good game. Uh, in that game, our defense played pretty well, and uh, we, we pulled out a victory. Okay, let's make this the end of part one here, because we have a deep dive on the horizon for the NFC Championship game ahead. This is Minnesota Sports Rewind. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, if you like these stories that Sage Rosenfels is telling, and uh, maybe you've sampled some of the other episodes, we would love it if you gave us a five-star review on either Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go tell some friends about Minnesota Sports Rewind. Thanks for listening.